Ayers on the Road, value-based parenting and life balance ideas from world-traveling family coaches. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back with Ayers on the Road, having been in the air, having coming back to the road and back to a little apartment in England. A little, a little cottage in Bath Easton. If you're curious, Google it. It's a beautiful little spot, although we haven't seen much other than out our window because we're quarantining, getting ready. We're halfway through the quarantine. One more week. We are. In fact, when we do the show next week, we will be Paul a week free. from today. We'll be in London with our daughter Charity and hope, her hopefully still undelivered twins. Well, of course, we did this last week just as we arrived here. We'd been here for half an hour. We kind right. of breathless and kind of goofy because we were really <laughs> we were, jet lagged. We were jet lagged. Um, but now we've been here for a week, and wow, have we learned a lot in a week. Because now, you, now some of you, we can't assume you all listened last week, although you should listen every week because <laughs> Linda's, Linda's always so entertaining. Of yeah. But we, we came here for a specific reason. We mentioned last time, so we won't go into detail, but one of our ancestor heroes... No, no, that's not the reason we came. Well, that's why we came to Bath. Yeah, but the reason we came came to to London is is to be with our daughter. Our youngest daughter is expecting twins anytime. We're hoping she makes it this week, and then we're going to be home free, unless she goes for three more weeks, and then we're in trouble again. But, Linda, what I was saying is the reason we came to Bath Easton, this little village in the southwest of England, it, two reasons. Number one, we didn't want to quarantine in London. That seemed really difficult. Well, especially because... quarantine in a beautiful little village? We couldn't even see our daughter, according right. to the rules of right. England. So there's right. no sense in being there if we can't see her. So. And the second reason was, this is the site of one of Linda's heroes, a grandmother of hers named Ellen Sarah Harding, Harding Allen. Allen. Who um, was such a strong woman that she had, uh, we won't go into detail because we did last week, but had a few differences with her husband. So while he was in London one week, she packed up the seven kids and went to America. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure it wasn't funny at the time, not at all. And it wasn't funny along the way either because she had a lot of hardship. But I do have to tell you something that I just found out that I haven't even told you yet. Okay, but let me just say the reason we're here is this is where she was born. This is where her kids were christened. This is the place. So we're sitting here in quarantine absorbing this air that she once breathed and studying like crazy on family search and other resources to learn all we can about her. Sorry, back to you. Well, what I found out today... Because my cousin told me this, who had written a whole book about our family, and we've been corresponding since I got here. She said that she thinks that she is pretty sure, and I'm waiting for an answer how she knows this, but that John, her husband, left to go to London for the Crystal Palace exhibition. Oh, that's why he was gone? That is why he left. And actually, I've been looking it up. In 1850. In 1851, they did this. Now, just be quiet for a minute. I'm throwing in relevant details. In 1851, they had something that was like a World's Fair. And they had people come from all over the world, but they sent out this huge, enormous thing called the Crystal Palace. In London, that's when they built it. In Hyde Park. Yeah, yeah. In Hyde Park. Yeah. And so... 
Um, it was really amazing because they set it up. It was three times bigger than the, the square footage than the um, St. Paul's Cathedral. Oh my I mean, gosh. it was huge. It was all glass and steel. I all think that glass might have been steel. the first World's Fair. You might have, maybe it was. I don't know. You might have seen it there, but they, it actually, they ended, it was so huge and beautiful, they ended up calling it the Crystal Palace Exhibition. So it was there. But in 1854, they moved it to North London. Yeah. How in the world could they move that giant thing and all that glass to North London? So, of course, it was a huge tourist attraction. And he was dying to see it. So he wanted to go see the Crystal Palace in London. Maybe the fact that he went without her is the reason she went without him and took the kids to No, America. he invited her. He invited her to go. And what well, she, she probably thought him was... to go to America. No. <laughs> well, she probably They, they had different aspirations. When he, when he asked this... You know, he, she probably thought, no, I'm not going to go because that'll be just the perfect amount of time I can get tickets for me and my kids <laughs> on the Colgonda, I think it was, a ship that sailed out of Liverpool. And uh, get to America before, almost before he, well, no, because it took a long time, but before he finds out I'm gone. Now, so, let, me, let me interject, Linda, that, that some people are bit by the genealogy bug, or as we sometimes call it, the spirit of Elijah. We have never been severely bitten, but we're, we're, we're really getting bitten now. And I tell you, when you start getting into the details of some of these ancestors, by the way, we started off, we, our main interest for years was we wanted our children to have a background of where they came from because there have been a lot of studies, including a powerful one from Emory University that shows the single greatest thing that correlates with resilience is knowing about your grandparents and great-grandparents. That gives you a sense of identity. And then this time of, of moving around and not having roots, how powerful it is for a child to say, I know where I came from. I know my great-grandmother. I know stories about her. I'm one-eighth from her, and so on and so forth. So that was our initial motivation. But now that we're into it, we, we're working on a book just for our family just for our posterity, unlike any other book we've ever done. It's kind of a private book. And we're calling it Eight Epic Stories, or the Epic Eight. Sounds like a Western. Yeah. <laughs> but there, these eight, our four, my four grandparents and Linda's four grandparents are our grandkids' eight great-grandparents. And those those eight lines, in many cases, are the one who for religious freedom and joining a new church, left England, Switzerland, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Denmark, and came to this country. But I want to just quickly throw out that one of those eight lines, the Bingham line, has we call that we call these ancestors right angle ancestors, the ones who left generation after generation tra- trajectory and split off perpendicularly, went to America started a whole new family history. But one of these eight epic, one of these epic eights by the name of Bingham, who are also from England, that's another reason we're here, and another line I'm looking into while Linda looks into this Allen line with this marvelous grandmother. The Bingham line had two right angles because nine generations ago, a man named Thomas Bingham left for the colonies. 
1649, went to America in Massachusetts Bay colonies and started a life there. And then five more generations on, one of those descendants in New England, in Vermont by that time, joined the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, went across the plains with Brigham Young, with the earliest companies following the, the history. So, so in, in the Bingham line, what I'm trying to say is, if you want to study American history, the Bingham line, starting with this Thomas Bingham, parallels early American history, parallels all of the things that happened that led up to the Civil War that led up to the Declaration of Independence. His family was involved in all those events from 1649 right up to 1776. And then if you want to follow church history, along comes Erastus Bingham, who with his wife went in a prairie schooner, a covered wagon, across the Mormon Trail, basically the whole thing going to Kirtland, going to Nauvoo, going to Far West, going on Zion's camp, and finally making it to the Salt Lake Valley in 1847. So I guess what I'm saying is the bug will bite you if you get into some of these things. If you start reading and familysearch.org, what a site, because you can follow everyone and find out not only where they came from, but where they went, and stories about them and photographs of them. Why didn't those people ever smile, Linda? <laughs> because they had to sit for hours in the same position without moving in order for the film to, you know, organize itself or something. I don't know how that worked, but it was really pretty amazing. Well, you know, I mean, they, you're learning more than you want to know about our families, I'm sure. But, it but really... it, think of it as a prototype of, of the kind of stories every family has if you take time to dig them out. It is astonishing what you can find about your family. I mean, this particular family in Beth Easton, I, I, a history has been written about her life. She did an amazing thing. She lost th uh, actually three, four more children before she passed away. She only had three of 12 children left. And we're not going back that far. We're talking about died, Linda's yeah. great, great grandmother. So she went through a lot of sorrow and anguish and so on. But I'm sure he did too. And what I've been thinking about, because I have a cousin and aunt who wrote this story extensively. It's beautiful. And so um, I couldn't possibly do better on that. But what I'm, what I'm interested in is this John Sparrow Allen who stayed behind. What happened to him? Neither one of them ever it's got married again. It's I a mean, mystery. To their credit, they never got divorced, but they never got married. He stayed, he died a widower at age 65, and one of his sisters brought him to a little town we're going to go to as soon as we're out of quarantine, where he's buried with his mother and his father, because his family had all gone to America, and yeah. we're curious. We first, I thought at first, because I'm a, kind of a skeptic, maybe he was abusive in some way, and that's why she left him. But I'm becoming convinced it was for other reasons, well, I which think we don't, he, I don't know. You don't blame him. I mean, she found this new church that she was so excited about. She had just lost her last baby a year before the missionaries her got there. Her 11th child. Uh, her 12th, her 12th actually. Wow. The, I think it was a stillborn, but I don't know. Maybe just lived one day, because there's no dates on him except a birth date. So... 
honestly, um, I think she was so distraught about that. I think the message that they had for her, that she would be able to have those babies in the afterlife and that she would be able to be with them, was so compelling to her that she really wanted to join this church and be part of the thing because she had just gone through all this agony. So, and he didn't quite, he didn't get that quite, you know, but well, because I, his family had been there for 13 generations, he had no interest well, in, I, in going on this crazy adventure when they well, might sure. die and all that stuff. But I, I guarantee you, and again, we're, we're, we didn't intend to sort of be zealots for, for doing far. family history, but we're getting to be that way because we're learning so much. And I guarantee you, if you dig into it, you will find amazing things. I'm just going to tell you who the Epic Eight are, because maybe some of you will say, hey, we might be related or whatever, but, but here's the Epic Eight. The Ayers, who came from Lincolnshire, England. The Swensons, who came from southern Sweden. The Binghams, who I've just been talking about, who came to, from, from Essex and other parts of England, but ended up in New England, and were there for five generations before, and then four more generations before I came along in Utah and and the um the Binghams and the um Holbrook. the the Helbergs from Stockholm, Sweden. So that's my four of the Epic Eight and Linda's are the Jacobsons who came from Denmark. They had six children, lost their oldest daughter when she left, I mean, before they left, and then lost four children with measles in the ocean on the way. The Clarks. The Clarks. Um, and there's there's a part of that story that I have to tell you in the second half, kind of fun. Um, but the, the Clarks, who are from England, from Essex, the Allens, who are from Wiltshire, and also uh, a little bit of Somerset. And, and not, last but not least, the Webbers. The Webbers were from Switzerland. And so, um, and that's an amazing story too. It's so fun. It's so fun. And it's a good way to do some family history. Each of those eight that. is an epic story. And we're going to take a brief break and be back to tell you a few more of these stories. Or to encourage you to find your own story. So hang on. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Ayers on the Road. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. And we're back with Ayers on the Road today. We are way far on the road, but not on the road at all, actually. <laughs> Quarantined, off the road. But we are doing the show today on ancestor stories. And one of the things we did early on, Linda, that I'm just so grateful for is we took some of the stories we already knew, mainly about our grandparents and great-grandparents. So our, our kids, while they were young, were learning about these people who were their great-great-grandparents and great-great-great-grandparents. And we tried to take those stories and write them up in children's language, like a children's story. And we also had the children illustrate them, which was really... a a kind of a great idea that we chanced upon because once they had drawn one of these people on a ship going across the Atlantic Ocean or in a covered wagon, go, once they tried to draw that to illustrate this little ancestor storybook, they really felt like they were part of it. The one that I remember most is Shani doing this ship, the Franklin, coming from 
I probably Liverpool too, but they came from Switzerland and they got on. And while they were there during the voyage, my grandma Ida uh, Weber Goldenberger at the time fell overboard. He, there was a big wind that came that's up. That's not, that's not well, funny. She didn't actually, no, it's not funny because someone she, caught her. There was a man standing right there and he grabbed her by the back of the dress as she went down and pulled her back on. Otherwise, Ooh. none of us would be here. Well, I wouldn't have found I mean, you because you wouldn't no. have been. <laughs> I wouldn't have been here. So it's, it's amazing. amazing thinking about these stories. And um, I know Linda's got another one she wants to... Keep in mind, we're, you know, three of the eight, Epic Eight are English. So we've got our hands full while we're here. But we're focused on the one that lived here in the southwest of England where we're quarantining. But we've got two others of the Epic Eight who are also... English, England, so yeah. so our children are three eighths British, and we're they're they're getting an earful from us by email right now. By email, yeah, <laughs> they are. Um, I did have another family from London who uh, they met in Bloomington, Idaho. That's where uh, my family settled and grew up and became great community leaders there. And now we have a little place in Bear Lakes, as you know, those of you who've been listening. So um, their their picture is on our mantle. It's just a wonderful reminder of those people that came before us. But just going back a minute to John Sparrow Island, I just have to say that we've kind of dismissed him because he, you know, didn't want to come. But boy, I just have such a lot of um, empathy for him because, first of all, he didn't understand what was going on. He didn't want to leave and so on. So he just got left alone. And now I've done research in his family, and it's so fascinating because his mother and father were so dear. They, they had, um, uh, actually, they had, a, well, a, a last will and testament. His father did. His name was Edward, and he had this beautiful last will and testament, which he dictated to a solicitor. Obviously, he dictated because they spelled his name wrong. His name is Alan, and there's two L's all the way through, and it's only supposed to be one L. But anyway, he kept referring to them as my dear wife and my darling children and so on, and you just get a little feeling for him. And then in the end, she, Ellen, wrote him a letter, sent it to England, and they were both about to die. It was the end of their lives. I don't know if they had corresponded before or not, but he did not open the letter. He just wrote across the top, I will meet you at that beautiful shore, which was such a relief to me. Linda chokes up out. every time she oh reads that. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he must have been so angry and distraught, and maybe even for years, but that heart had changed, and he had forgiven her, and he had lived his life, and what a... I mean, he was brave and strong through that whole thing, too. So I appreciate both of them, and I'm, I'm learning to love him. Let me read you a little from this book we're working on called The Epic Eight, because it'll give you more of an idea of why we're doing it and also may motivate you to do something similar, depending on your circumstances. So we go through these Epic Eight, and we say, these six couples and two strong independent women, because there were two that came like, on their own, yeah. on their own, um, they gave up so much to change the trajectory of their lives and to bring about ours. We are the beneficiaries of their choices. We're the products of their physical and spiritual genetics. We are, as our daughter Sadie once said, her finger tracing down the family tree from her branch through our trunk to one of the roots 
and coming to one of her great-grandparents and saying, I'm one-eighth from you when she was just a little girl. And that's the powerful identity that we're talking about. And I want to just tell you a little about this Bingham one to give you an idea of how fascinating the stories are. For me and for you, this Bingham story starts with my grandma, Dean's dad, my dad's dad, in other words, and your great-grandma, Athelene Agnes Bingham, who married Howard Iyer when she was 17 and he was 18. (laughs) She was quite a woman. I remember her well. She always had a twinkle in her eye. Take a look at some of these pictures that I show. I remember her quick smile. I remember her tidy, classy house in Rollins, Wyoming, where we visited every year when I was a boy, and the rules she had for us when we got there. I remember how she held her impulsive, opinionated Howard in check with her loving but scoffing little laugh. She was a smart, level-headed, strong woman who knew what she wanted and what she loved. She had Dean when she was 19 and Vern, his brother, when she was 20 and loved these two boys fiercely, raised them to be gentlemen in that tough little Wyoming town. She was only 42 when I came along and made her a grandparent and so on. But then, then we talk about how the Binghams were unique because unlike the other seven of the Epic Eight, they came early in colonial times. One of our sons, Noah, received Bingham as his middle name. The Binghams are all English except for one Scottish lass, Agnes Fife, Athelene's grandmother and namesake, who married Sanford and perhaps brought a little frugality to the family, a little (laughs) Scottish frugality. But what I want to get to is this. This is one line of our family that has the prominent significance. Counting only that particular line, and then we go through all the names that feed into it. Rudd, Leffingwell, Lark, Leaguer, Lornage, Knowlton, Welch, so on and so forth. But then listen to this. Each of Atheline Bingham's other 15 great-grandparents spread back through a similar number of surnames in various parts of England, and all of them had stories like this. For example... Just one of these lines, Tracy, which with Athelene's mother's maiden name, goes back to Sir Bart Tracy, the first baronet of Stanway and a descendant from Saxon kings who owned Stanway House, a Jacobian manor house that we're going to go see when we're off of quarantine, located near the village of Stanway in Gloucestershire. And Sir Bart's son, Lieutenant Thomas Tracy, must have been an adventurous person because he left this gorgeous house. It's a house that's been used in a dozen movies to, because it's so beautiful. It belonged to him. And he left it and his family and his land and his title to immigrate to the American colonies. And here's just one more, another example. Take the Plumley line, Patty Plumley who was Athelene's great-grandmother. That line goes back to Richard Plumley and Elizabeth Needs, whose life spanned the entire 17th century. Listen to this. Richard lived to be 93 when he died in, eight, in 1686. And he still got outlived by nine years by his wife Elizabeth, 
who was 95 when Richard died and went on to live to be 104 years and old. I, when he found that, I said, wait a minute, you show that to me. And we went on our timeline, and sure enough, she was born in 1650. 1590, she was 1590. born. 1590. And died in, in 1694. 1694. And she here's a, it's, you, get, you get some guesses in here. This is one of our guesses. She died in Bath, England. Perhaps she went there because they thought the baths could heal her and she thought, I'm only 104, maybe if I go to the baths, I can, maybe, I can get a few more maybe years. Maybe she just thought a hot bath would feel so good to me, right? <laughs> because my, actually, Edward Allen, who I just told you about, who died, he died at 49 and he died in Bath and he'd never been to Bath before and I had surmised that he went there to see if those miracles, uh, hot springs, could heal him. You never know. You never know. Could have happened. There's so many interesting things. You should know, though, that um, if you go on Family Search, it's amazing how many, you just read all those names there, it's amazing how many people were actually related to. Uh, if you go on Family Search, you can go to a spot and shoot, I don't know where it is, but you could find find it, where you just put your name in and and somebody else in the room puts their name in, and then they will tell you how you're oh, related well, no, to that's, that person. Oh, that's, no, that's a different website. That's a, that's an actual... No, I thought it was on Family No, that's, a, that's an app that you can go to. Um, you can get to it through Family Search too, and it'll tell you if anyone in the room is related to you. It's amazing. In fact, the day we were there, I mean, we were third grand, our third grandparent twice removed or something, to almost everybody in the room, except we were there with... Elder Garrett Gong, who since then has become um, a church authority, and uh, he was not related to anybody. <laughs> Knowing that his last name was Gong, he said, you know what, you'd have to go back thousands of years to get related back to Back to Adam and Eve, maybe. <laughs> right. But um, it is fascinating, and you know, I, not to be too philosophical, Linda, but one of the things that happens when you begin to, when you find the time, I mean, here we are, with 14 days of quarantine. Otherwise, our lives are so busy. You just, you know, you work on it for an hour and then you go away and do something else and you come back to it and you can't remember what you're doing. But what a thing to do during a quarantine where you keep it in your mind and you go to bed and you wake up the next morning and you start doing that line again, oh thinking gosh. about those stories. It's so And amazing. the time flies. Well, you start at 9 in the morning and all of a sudden you go, wait, 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 wait. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon? What happened? What happened all that time? We have just been soaked into this. It is absolutely amazing and so fun. Well, and what I was going to say, I think it does something to your perspective. Um, let me be a little philosophical. I guess I will, actually, because... Well, that never happens. I, I've always felt like, you know... The two things we strive for and that we find so hard to gain in this life are, are awareness and perspective. In fact, I, I like to think that the essential difference between God and man, and it's a huge difference obviously, but the best way I can think of to define it is awareness and perspective. God has all perspective and he has all awareness. Thus, he is all-powerful, he's omnipotent, because he's aware of everything, and his perspective is complete. It's, 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 it includes everything. And so we, in our own little narrow slice of life, have such a limited perspective, if we're not careful. And the more limited our perspective is, the worse off we are. 
racism comes from a limited perspective. Absolutely. So many yeah. things that are problems today come from a limited perspective or a lack of awareness. So if we can somehow expand our awareness and our perspective, and what I think happens when you're back in the 16th century looking at these stories, your awareness and your perspective expands. It is incredible. We really advise you to give it a try. We think you will love it. And probably a lot of you are way, way ahead, ahead of us. Because we are just You think of, we're amateurs this. compared oh to Oh my you. gosh. But if you haven't done it lately, give it a try. It's just so fun and exciting. And it will change your life. Find your ancestor stories and tell them to your children. You be the trunk between the limbs of your tree, your children, and the roots of your tree, your ancestors. It will make a difference in their lives. Good luck with that. We'll see you again next week on Ayers on the Road. From London next time with the twins. Bye-bye.